I actually still have his passport. It's really sad because there's a stamp in his passport where he left at the port of Haifa, where it was still the British colony of Palestine. Shalom. Just before we start, uh, these conversations take a long time to edit. So if you're enjoying the conversations with my Hebrew students, it'll take you only one minute to follow if you're listening on Spotify, rate if you're listening on another platform, and share with your friends. Toda Rabba, and I hope you enjoy listening. My name is Salma. I'm from Jordan, but I'm currently living in the United Kingdom. And I've been studying Hebrew since 2015. Marhaba, ana ismi Salma. Ana min al-Urdun. Wa hala sakna fi Britania. Wa ili badras ibri min al-2015. Shalom, ani Salma. Ani ma yaghdan. Akhshav ani gara b'Anglia. אני לומדת עברית מ... אלפיים. סורי. אלפיים. Again, like I, I can't speak for an entire nation, but mm-hmm. from what I've seen and from my perspective is the attitude is either it's either that, you know, there is a segment definitely of society where it's like, um, you know, the uh, what was it? The Belfour Declaration. That's sort of like the highlight of, you know, why the Brits kind of screwed the Palestinians over on that. And mm-hmm. um, is this notion that, you know, that, that Britain had a lot to do with the displacement of Palestinians. And so there is a bit of hard feelings towards that. But then also the King of Jordan's mother is British, right? right. So it's kind of like... So you got um, some benefits by the Brits, haven't you? Yeah. Like one of my old roommates, she was a PhD student at Yale and she would always describe it as being, yeah, the Brits left and there was no more colonization, but they kind of left it in the blood, didn't they? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. In like Jordan they, as well. Yeah, I mean, no, as in, like, they left it in the blood of the royal family. So, technically, oh, like, okay. 
yeah, as in, you know, in, in a sense, it's almost like we're still colonized, but in the most passive way. Yeah. Um, but I mean, here's the thing. Jordan is a, um, a very class divided society. And I mean, most people from Jordan will understand what I mean when I say this is there is a huge difference between West Amman. Amman is the capital and West Amman is like the sort of wealthier, more populous part of the, 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 the capital. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the country, which is completely different, right? And like mm-hmm. you know, uh, and and there's always this um, there's always this notion of you know what happens in West Amman isn't necessarily a reflection of the majority of the rest of the country. So, for example, there are a lot of honor killings that happen in Jordan. It's it's it, I mean it's a problem. It's an issue. And there was recently this. For those how, who don't understand, honor killings mean. killing someone from someone's family because of um so it could be for a number of reasons it could be because um that person was suspected of having spoken like it's usually a female and it's usually because the female could it, it could go from anywhere from the female suspected to having spoken to uh, a non-male relative to having any kind of contact or like physical or otherwise Um, anything that sort of threatens the uh, reputation of the family and mm-hmm. the, like the, the honor standing or the moral standing of the family. Wow. And so that happens a lot in Jordan. My, my dissertation in my master's was about that. Oh. And, and so, but when it happens in West Amman, which is rarely compared to the rest of the country, it gets a lot of media coverage and it gets a lot of attention. But then it could happen in a rural village somewhere in Jarosh and, you know, no one can hear about it. Right. Because yeah. there's still because also like statistics on these are not completely reliable because it's not it, it's considered a private family matter. So you probably won't hear about so it. So why did you personally choose to write your dissertation about it? Do you did you know people who were affected by family honor killings? So I chose to write about it, honestly, because. Growing up, it was very much all around like me and my friends and all of the women that I knew. And I know a lot of women who got into trouble for having a boyfriend or for, you know, being in contact with another male. But it's a form of violence that no, that's not as extreme as getting killed. Right. So okay. it's it's like a spectrum. So what would where, happen to them? So they would either. So it could go anywhere. I had a friend who. would get physically beaten. I had friends who would never get hit, but their phones would be taken away and they'd be grounded for a while and sort oh of get God. the silent treatment from their parents. So it's, it is a spectrum and it's not always the most violent form. It depends on like the family itself. Some families will deal with it, you know, in a much more kind of sensible manner, but And how, yeah. and how is, I have so, wow, I have so many questions to ask, but is it, is it something that's, very say very common in Jordan and not so much in other Arab countries in the Middle East or it's just an Arab phenomena that can happen even you know in Palestine or in the Emirates or mm. how is or how is it different in Jordan give me like so, the local context I mean I, I I can answer this only because i've I've done research about it. It's prevalent in a lot of honor based societies, and Turkey, for example, is one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of um, 
a lot of Asian communities in the UK have that as well. I mean, I think there was a very famous honor killing a few years ago. Mm. I don't remember what her name was, but it's also it's it's also common. It's it's not completely unheard of. It's not Arab. Kingdom. It's more Muslim than. I don't know if it's more Muslim because it can happen in Christian families in Jordan as well. Okay, so it's I Arab mean, in... and Muslim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, th- or... I think it's it's more. I think it's more like. I think it's more of an honor-based society thing. I don't yeah. think that honor-based societies are just exclusive to either Arab or Muslim. I mean, yeah. I think they can exist in other contexts depending yeah. on the like the cultural context itself. Of course. But yeah. um so it, it's interesting because I we see how, you know, either from traditional Christians or traditional Jews, you know, our generation, maybe I'm your generation, maybe I'm not. How old are you? I'm 28. <laughs> okay, so around our generation, uh, we see what a difference there has been so much progressiveness, you know, when it comes to family values, getting married, not getting married, having kids, not having kids. So many things that, you know, individualism, you know, we decide for ourselves. We are not that much, you know, depends again. And, and even in Israel, it, it, there is such... Even in Israel, there's such a big influence of, of tradition where, you know, people accept, even though we are mostly secular, like the, the, the Israeli Jews, we still accept, you know, being bound to marrying only religiously. And so seculars just marry religiously, whereas, you know, anywhere else they would just have a civil marriage, right? So there is still a big influence in Israel, but... Generally speaking, it's such a big generational gap, right? And so, yeah. you know, we, we, we are not dependent on what our parents or grandparents want us to do uh, in the name of tradition and religion, you know? Mm-hmm. But it seems to me like these honor killings are just bounding women to not being able to be free. I think, I mean... Definitely. There's a lot to it. But I also think I remember one of the one of the research papers I was reading when I was writing about this was talking about how about statistics of um, sort of like domestic abuse in the U.S. because of causes that relate to like women being suspected of cheating, for example, in a relationship. And and the question of like, why isn't that classed as being a form of honor killings as well? So I think it, it could expand I mean, with the topic of honor killings, it can it's it's very broad and it can cover a lot of areas. But when it comes to like a very Jordanian kind of Arab cultural society, mm-hmm. I agree with you. Yeah, it's definitely shifting. Um, and I think it's shifting between like my our generation and our parents generation in large part because of the introduction of the Internet. Yeah, of course. And, mm-hmm. but, and, and also just this um, this kind of collective kind of sharing of information mm-hmm. is has sort of made people a lot more aware of the fact that they don't have to be you know bound exactly. by all of these traditional things and there is another yeah. way and yeah so yeah. there are so many positive things to you know we we tend to think these days of the you know misinformation and whatever and having no you know regulation on what people post right um yeah On social media but of course we need to remember also the positive things uh, that internet has brought to our societies um so how do people young jordanian women today deal with this maybe you can also 
tell me a, a bit about the society, what divisions are there? I mean, I, I say, I'm going to say all this with a grain of salt because I am a very introverted person. So I can't really speak for the majority of everyone. But from that, this is only from what I've seen in my experiences that like, um, I always think of it in terms of uh, where where you went to school, because school is is also part of that class divide in Jordan. The education system in Jordan is very much a, a class based one, which that is the case as well with healthcare. Um, I don't know. I think these are like alarm bells. Like it's it's um, it's going to take us a long time to kind of even that out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also sometimes I think of it in the sense of how um, I mean, Jordan's is what, 70, a little over 70 years old, like it gained its independence in the late 40s. That's not a very long time. Yeah. Right. That It's not a very long time for. for 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 a nation to be expected to conform to all of these what are essentially like western ways of life yeah right um, so um, and whether everyone uh accepts that this is the the right path to go jordan is a constitutional monarchy right so it's not a yeah. democracy how how could it even mm. aim to become one If it's not and that's the thing like just the notion of it having to become a democracy like because democracy is it's not it's not like a I mean there's different forms of democracy but also what does that mean like to be to be a democratic nation like I think that opens a whole can of worms because I mean would would a democratic system even work in Jordan Like that, that, you know, probably not, right? Because, I mean, it's it, it, there's so many other levels to society that need to be um, refurbished. Oh my <laughs> God, I have, like, I have like a, a deja vu now. And when I went two years ago to Limud, Scotland, you know, Limud is this uh, Jewish conference, usually quite progressive, giving different voices on many uh, Jewish themes and Israel, of course, as well. But in this specific Limud, the only uh, lecture, the only session uh, about Israel and Palestine was a right wing Israeli guy who was basically making the claim that Uh, the Arabs cannot rule themselves, cannot have a democracy. Uh, the Arabs, which wherever, whoever Arabs, they're just not capable of that. Uh, and, um, and I don't know, it seemed to me like such a... Uh, you kind know, of condescending. Condescending. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, but you are now saying, saying yet yeah, even like in, have, expecting Jordan to... Uh, To be democratic is, is, you know, there's so many, uh, yeah, explain, explain that. So, I mean, I think, I mean, I don't, to say, to, to say that, like, I mean, first we have to establish whether a democracy is a good thing or a bad thing, right? Because I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm saying that, like, a democracy that is, like, a Western, like, a Western construct of a democracy wouldn't work in Jordan. Because Jordan, Jordanian society is still very much conservative, mm-hmm. right? So, so there has to be a catering for what the people want, right? And I, I think of it in this sense. I know this is a, might sound like a tangent, but um, so before the Brits came to Jordan, like it was mostly the land of what Bedouins and farmers, right? Like right. just very broadly Tribal. speaking. 
yeah, very tribal. If you go south, where it actually is a desert, there are no lanes in the desert, right? There's no concept of like a lane, like there would be on a highway in the, in Britain, for example. Mm-hmm. So the colonizer comes, establishes like all of these different Western ways of life, leaves, and then suddenly we have this whole new system that we're all trying to adapt to. And so one of the things that people say about Jordan is, which is true, right? Like driving in Jordan is terrifying because, you know, people are just crazy on the high roads. Like it's insane. Like driving in Jordan is like, if you have a death wish, like just, <laughs> um, but yeah. And then there's this, there's this term uh, that is referred to people who drive outside of their own lane. Uh, in Arabic, it's Sahrawi, which comes from the word Sahra, which means desert. Mm-hmm. And so Sahrawi Can you say the, the whole sense, sentence in Arabic? Ah, Bisu Sahrawi. He drives um, like okay. in a desert-like manner, in the sense that you're not. Even, it's it's almost like there are no lanes. So in the desert, there are no lanes. And I always think of it in the sense that why is why why do we talk about it in a negative way? Like, sure, we suck at driving for a number of reasons, but I think mainly it's because this is new, right? Yeah. This is a new concept. Lanes is not like. There is still a a whole generation of people in Jordan that are alive today who, you know, remember a time pre-British rule. Yeah. Right. Or remember a time when there's a whole generation of people who grew up in tents and grew up in deserts. Right. And now they're in the city. And so you're we're expected to what in the span of 70 years to suddenly conform to this to all of these different ways of life. And I just see it in the sense that, like, you know. A democracy wouldn't work in, I think so, I might be wrong as well, but like, it wouldn't work in Jordan, at least not overnight, you know, because, you know, what are the what are the parameters of a democracy? We have to be okay with all of these different things that as a conservative society, isn't okay with. Right. Yeah, like, so how can you? Yeah, it's like uh, speaking about equality when in uh, religion and conservative values. You know, the in many religions, yeah. of course, Judaism as well. The women is the the women are far from being equal, and therefore, you know, I I so I'm not sure what what is the the right solution. If you want to to maintain, you want you don't want to come and tell people what to do. You know, people even maybe other Jordanians who advocate for democracy or for you know values who contradict or go against traditional values. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say that. Like the only real government intervention, like serious government intervention, that you probably see is. If, if someone is actively speaking out against the monarchy, mm-hmm. right? That, that's, that's, where, that's where it gets like serious or um, um, sort of you see that sort of like that, that force of, of shutting things down. So, 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 so yeah. back to the theme, Jordanians, uh, do they see dem- democracy and democratic values as a threat to the country, to the monarchy? to the to, 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 to the tradition um, it depends on what sector of Jordan you're talking about okay. right because and also I don't think that the vocabulary is like democracy itself it's like yeah like Western influences like for yeah. example um, 
like, you know, I mean, you probably know this. You can't walk down the street. You can. It's physically possible to walk down the street in Jordan wearing mini shorts. But you're like opening the door for a ton of um, criticism. And like, you know, it's just culturally it's culturally unacceptable. Yeah. Right. And it's and it's for very men as much. Well? Um, so, yes, but also it's for women, it's a lot more, uh, a much more of a big deal. Yeah. Right. But mm -hmm. of course, for men, it would be, you know, he's not covering his knees. Yeah. But again, it depends on where you are in Jordan. Yeah. So if you dress like that in particular areas in West Amman, you might get away with it and it's fine. And also if you're a foreigner, it's a different perception that people have of, of you. Um, and so, but, but the thing is like, that would be seen as a Western influence, right? Yeah. It would be seen as like, you know, these Arab kids trying to act like Americans or whatever. Yeah. It would be seen as that. But I mean, I know this whole conversation around like democracy in the Arab world is just kind of everywhere. But what I think I see it is it's a nation going through its own narrative of things. And we don't have to label it as like a resistance of democracy or whatever. It's its own, it's its own fight, right? It's its own, it's writing its own history. And we should just leave it alone, right? We should leave it alone to like, do its own thing, figure out its own way, and stop comparing it to like, parts of the world that have had a very different history and have a very different cultural context. So what would be your personal favorable outcome towards democracy or whatever it would be, uh, that would be accepted in uh, Jordan? Um, I mean, I think just, I think it would be more than one thing. It would be sort of like this, um, what I would like to see in Jordan is more like, um, so Jordan, the pop, like religiously, there's Muslims, there's Christians, there's Baha'is, uh, there's a very like small portion of Baha'is, but the country is mostly divided into Christians and Muslims. And for a lot of How reasons, how much percentage are the, are the Christians? I think the Christians are less than 10% or maybe 10%. Mm -hmm. um, I might be wrong, but it's, it's, it's that kind of proportion. It's not a really, uh, it's not like an equal. So they're definitely the minority. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's a lot of issues. In, there, there aren't issues between Christians and Muslims that are extreme, like they would be, for example, in Lebanon. But there is this line between like, There, there isn't a lot of intermarriage, is what I mean, between Christians and Muslims. And that is a thing on both sides that is problematic. So, um, you know, depending on, of course, like some families are, are more open than others. But in general, it is an issue. I think that if we can get over that um, somehow, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, that that would be one step closer to living in a more harmonized society. And also... Um, just kind of fixing our education system, making it, making, you know, education less, less, I mean, I guess this is a global issue as well, but making it less privatized and a little bit more like accessible in the sense that, you know, the, 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 the public national school system, ha I mean, I think it, it can have higher standards. Mm -hmm. It should have higher standards. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think little things in society, like if we make our healthcare more accessible, like if we fix our, our, our healthcare system, like little things that are just going to make it easier for us to live 
in harmony, to live as a thriving society with less, with less, um, um, like, uh, um, what's the word? I forgot. Um, oh man, <laughs> when there is corruption, yeah, with, yeah. with less, because cor- there is a lot of corruption in, in, um, like certain ministerial, um, places yeah. and it just, you know, little things to help yeah. us live better, but not necessarily like, I don't know. I think it, we should look at it as a much, much like much smaller steps rather than like, we need to become a democracy and like yeah, adhere yeah, yeah. to all of these like Western democratic values. Like that doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. That doesn't. Yeah. yeah just... So Salma, what do we Israelis know about Jordan is that um, there are many People speak about 50% of the population being Palestinian or like descendants of Palestinian refugees or Palestinian refugees living among the Jordanians, not accepted as Jordanians or not uh, receiving uh, equal rights in your society. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about this and whoever... Uh, Israeli who might be listening to that because this is uh, mm. you know for many of yeah. them is like wow why don't Jordan just accept them and and they can mm. just be part of the Jordanian society they're so, not coming back after all mm. so there's two there's two um, kinds of Palestinians in Jordan one is a Palestinian refugee right because there's um There's at least there's I mean, there's a number of, of Palestinian refugee camps, but I think there's two that are very um, large and well known um, and that sort of have um, have been established like a very long time ago. And that's the difference between Palestinians who left in 1948 and Palestinians who left in 1967. Mm hmm. Um, And so they are so it, those who left in 1948 so my grandparents left in 1948 mm-hmm. and um, your grandparents the, so you're Palestinian yeah yeah originally yes I am but you don't define yourself as Palestinian so I am very careful about calling myself Palestinian for two reasons because I feel I've never been to Palestine right I don't have a Palestinian identification card right um, My, I am originally Palestinian. My grandparents are Palestinian. Um, but the reason I tread very carefully is because I think it's an insult to people who have had to struggle at border agencies with a Palestinian ID, not having a passport. Yeah. I think it's you know an insult to someone who actually goes to Palestine and has seen it and has lived there and knows it. I've, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's an interesting perspective, but I've always found 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 it. Uh, I've always found it. Um, you know, someone who's never never was born there. Um, he's a grandson of you know a, refu- a Palestinian refugee yeah, from 48. Yeah. They would still define themselves as yeah, Palestinians yeah. because this is the way to main, to maintain the yeah. identity and and the, and the, uh, you know the desired yeah. right of return, isn't oh, it? Oh, 100 I mean, so if you spoke to my siblings, they would they would tell you they're Palestinian. so, mm-hmm. My perspective is not a very common one at all. Yeah, yeah. So but you also the... have Jordanian passport, whereas exactly. some Palestinians so, would not yeah. have. So the ones in the exactly. Palestinian uh, uh, refugee camps, they would not have 
exactly. passports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so that's a, exactly it. I, w- I mean, I was born in Jordan. I have a Palestinian, I have a Jordanian passport. And um, so a lot of Palestinians who have Jordanian passports also have Palestinian IDs. And mm-hmm. that's another like a kind of, you know, Palestinian living in Jordan. And so there's so many shades. I, I think there's so many shades of Palestinian. But the general rhetoric, I would say, the general rhetoric is your grandparents are Palestinian, regardless of the fact that you've never been there, that you um, don't carry an ID as well as your passport or exclusively an ID, you identify as Palestinian. Yeah. And that is very much because of, you know, this whole notion of, you know, trying to fight against this Zionist idea that the old will die and the young will forget. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, we're not ever going to forget. And, and that's, that's the general rhetoric, I would say the majority of people, but I, I think of it in a much more, I don't know. I feel weird saying it because it's also an insult to the fact that like, I grew up in Jordan, you know, like I I was, I was most, like I spent most of my life in Jordan. Can you tell me about your, your grandparents and, and their story? Because I, now that you say that you are Palestinian, Mm. uh, I feel uh, closer to you because I feel we have, (laughs) we have a shared history. Yeah. So my father's uh, parents were cousins. (laughs) As Arabs do in Tabri. <laughs> um, yeah, so so they were both from Tabariya, uh, Tiberias. Because my, oh. my family name is Salma al-Tabari, mm-hmm. um, named after Tabariya. Oh. Um, yeah, so they were from Tiberias. And the North was the first to go. So, um, I mean, both all four of my grandparents are now dead. And they all died of some disease associated with the chest. Mm-hmm. And I always think of it as it was a physical manis- manifestation of a broken heart, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is what I'm convinced is that my grandparents all died of a broken heart. How did they tell you the story and how did you feel yeah. uh, their personal story of Nakba? So, I mean, it's trauma. It's just, it's a load of trauma is what it is. It's, it's sad and it's, um, I mean, actually, you know what, for a while... When I start, when I came to do my master's, I wanted to write my thesis on uh, generational trauma, and I was really interested in looking at because I had read "A Horse Walks Into a Bar" by David Grossman. So it's basically about this guy in Natanya giving a stand-up comedy show, and he has a mental breakdown. Like the whole story is him recalling the story of his life and um, how his mother committed suicide, and it's very much entrenched in this notion of. Um, like the 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 diaspora, the Jewish diaspora, and the trauma of like World War II, mm-hmm. and I thought it was really interesting when I read that because it's like there's it. I I, I thought of it as being like you know Israel slash Palestine is now this nation where there's so much collective trauma, like so mm-hmm. much family trauma and like generational trauma that's just trying to to exist, mm-hmm. and it's not working, and there's a lot of war and there's a lot of conflict because of that mm-hmm. and i was really interested in like looking at like sort of at the epigenetics of that and what does that look like in literature when when you think of like there's no coexistence because of that generational trauma and so it that i i mentioned this because my grandparents like my grandmother had severe ptsd her whole life because she, they were kicked out of their homes by the haganah at the time mm-hmm. And the way that she left was was very, very difficult. Like she left thinking they were just going to go across the border 
for a few days and come back. And then a few days turned into a few weeks and then a few months and just life kind of kept going. And I don't think she ever got over that. Yeah. And, um, you know, they, they had a lot of land in Tiberias and they were quite wealthy and then they left with the clothes on their back. And that was sort of a huge shock for, um, like my grandmother and her sisters and, um, How I mean, did they, and, then, and what did they do? Did they just start restart from scratch? Essentially, yeah. They just started completely from scratch. And my grandfather, my father's father, he was at university in uh, Beirut at the time. He was at um, the American University of Beirut. And it was, I actually still have his passport. It's really sad because he, there's a stamp in his passport where he left at the port of Haifa, where it was still the British colony of Palestine. Mm. And then he came back and everything was different. And like his, it was just like, it was that whole border just disappeared. And, and I think that they never really dealt with that. And that seeped into my parents because my parents ended up. So both, like both my grandparents, they essentially like, it, you know, they were silent the about it probably. They, oh no, they were definitely not silent about not it. Like, silent. Okay, so no, not silent about it at all. Yeah. Um, so I have to ask you now. So you had the interest of going to Israel. You have history there. You have actual family, Palestinian citizens of Israel. Uh, interestingly, yeah. you call them Israeli Arabs. No, I mean, I think that's what they're because they have Israeli passports. Yeah, yeah. So my question is, what brought you to have an interest in the Hebrew language? Um. So it started at, like in 2014. So I grew up in in a in a very religious family because my, so it's a very long story how my grandparents ended up in Saudi Arabia, but they ended up in Saudi Arabia. And so my parents were born and raised in Saudi Arabia. And so they, and this was like the seventies and eighties. So they were like very, very conservative and religious. And part of that, you know, I mean, I think in a Palestinian, in a, in a family that has Palestinian roots, that's religious, it's very much like the narrative of, you, you know, the, the Zionists just want to kill us all. Like, that's mm. always the narrative, right? Really? How come? I mean, we, we believe that the Arabs just want to kick us to the sea. So, mm. you know, the other that's side of the coin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that makes sense, though, right? That, that would be the narrative on both sides. Yeah. Um, I don't see why not. We are so similar, especially like, the Jewish and Islamic religion are incredibly similar. So so I grew up in this family that like, just, you know, was opposed to anything Jewish, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember, um, you know, when the internet started, and people would send each other like forwarded mass emails. Mm -hmm. uh, and I and all I would ever get was what I now describe as propaganda, right? Because it was like, I think one of the most popular things I used to get was the Israeli national anthem, And it would was tr quote unquote translated like there were Arabic subtitles and the subtitles were like, <laughs> we're going to what? It was something like we're going to kill all the Arabs and drink their blood and stuff like that. And I remember thinking there is no way that is the Israeli national. Oh, anthem. my God. Like there's no way. They, I mean, there's no way they that the country would even get away with a national anthem of like course. that. Right. Of course. And so, you know, a lot of it was just exaggerated and just you know like i'm sure happens as well in israel there's a lot of like propaganda against like the palestinian cause yeah in this in the sense like there was a lot of stuff that 
I thought was ridiculous. And at some point I just thought like, why, why are we always assuming that, that every Israeli is, is bad? Like, why is that the general assumption? You know, why is there this, this suspicion that anything Israeli or anything that has like Hebrew written on it is just, is bad? Like, I don't know. It just didn't make sense to me. That, and I that was an assumption you, you had naturally without even knowing any Israeli no. who changed your perception prior to that. <clears throat> prior to that. No, I did meet an Israeli later on who's one of my closest friends now, but mm-hmm. we'll get to that in a moment. Mm-hmm. But, but before, like I just, my whole life thought like, this is ridiculous. Mm. And, um, as well, because I, I grew up in a very religious family, and I was religious for a very long time. I actually used to wear a hijab. I wore it for 15 years. Right. And I had a lot of doubts, like, about What happened to the stuff. hijab? Oh, I mean, I... It, that was a long time ago. <laughs> um, but, like, yeah, but no, I mean, slowly my beliefs changed. And mm. I had to... I started to adapt physically to... The things that I always had doubts about, I started to reconcile, you know, I started yeah. to sort of look at more closely, but I always had questions and I always had doubts and they were always tied to religion and they were always tied to Israeli-Palestinian mm-hmm. conflict, right? Because I always thought it was just, it was almost like this narrative. There's one narrative. We all know it. We all memorize it and that's it. Yeah. You know, you don't ask questions after that. And it just so didn't make sense. you said there's no way this is the national anthem and it made you mm. do what? It made me want to learn Hebrew But at the time, I was still living in Jordan. To and... prove that the translation is wrong. <laughs> I know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 100%. And not just that, but also like, you know, because this is really funny, though. In Jordan, like on if you have a TV, there's three channels that you get. You get the Jordanian national channel. You get Space Tune, which is the cartoon channel. And then you get like this Israeli channel. It was number three on the satellite. I don't remember what it was called, but I remember the logo was like this blue circle that had like this little swirl in the middle. It was like this white swirl. Really? And yeah. And I remember like thinking like, we're so close that we get one of their channels. Yeah. Like, how do we not speak their language? It doesn't make sense. Like, I don't know. I just thought it was weird. So, so you, when you started learning online, can you tell me a little bit about what reactions did you receive from your family and friends mainly in Jordan about um, so it's funny because like my dad was very supportive I remember and I and I remember his perspective was oh this is going to expand your knowledge of the world and you're gonna like be able to recruit more people to Islam right like that was oh, my dad's okay. perspective and, <laughs> you got me I'm converting tomorrow yeah right which is funny because that was never my intention like <laughs> it yeah. was always It was just curiosity all the mm-hmm. way through. It was just pure curiosity. And, and so I get like a multitude of reactions in Jordan. If, if, I, any, if I ever told people that I knew it, I would, oh, the majority of reactions that I'd get is suspicion. Mm-hmm. And people would just assume that I was a spy. Really? Right? And how did yeah, you deal that was, with that? <laughs> I didn't care. I mean, it was fine because it was funny. Like I always thought it was funny that that's what people assumed. And my brother actually, like not very long ago, asked me like, He asked me if I was uh, sympathetic to the Zionist cause or something like that. <laughs> And what did you so, say? <laughs> I'm like, um, no, like not, not really. Like, I don't know. Like, it's weird. And sometimes I get reactions like, yeah, good for you. You know, learning the language of the enemy like, yeah, or some shit like yeah, that. Like, yeah. And so you, you wanted because you were curious. So 
What's the outcome of this curiosity? Were you able to, like, people see you, maybe even some Jewish people would see you as, oh, you're, you, you want to, you see us as close, so you learn our language, and that mm. opens the door? Yeah, I mean, in a large part, it was because, I mean, it is a language that's spoken in the Middle East, right? So in the Middle East, there's English, Arabic, and French, and Hebrew, but I mean, No one mentions Hebrew because it's spoken in such a small margin of the Middle East. But I always thought of it in the sense that like it's a language spoken in the Middle East. I want to know I want to know how to speak it. It's so close to Arabic. Right. It's so yeah. easy if you know Arabic. Yeah. And I don't know. There's something very I, I like Hebrew. Like I enjoy I enjoy learning Hebrew. I think it's it's I think probably because it's it's in large part like close to Arabic and, and functions in the same way. It mm. makes sense when I use it, like it, it feels familiar almost. Mm. Because when you start learning Hebrew, especially where I started learning Hebrew, a lot of the material is very much associated with Israeli culture, mm -hmm. right? And, and a lot of it is, is like associated with uh, Jewish culture. And so... And Zionist propaganda. Yeah, exactly. uh, uh, surely, of course. Yeah. yeah, I mean, probably not so much at SOAS, but more so mm. um, in e-teacher Hebrew where I started. Because a lot of the students who were in the same class as me, they were, um, they wanted to migrate. And so they were learning as preparation to migrate. Um, and so, yeah, that was very much the case. But it just, it kind of removed this veil for me because I started to see what I had always logically thought of is, sure, there's a, you know, there's this hist this really dark history of Palestinians being kicked out of their homes and this Israeli nation being established. And then, you know, this really dark history that's very much real and there. But also there's this whole generation of Israelis that are now like, what, there's like a third generation of Israelis that are now, or second generation born there. That's all they know. And they're yeah. not responsible for their parents' migration. They're not responsible for... Yeah. 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 Okay, Salma. So any future plans? Um, so I definitely want to continue to pursue Hebrew until I can speak it well. Like, I really want to pursue that. I don't know where it will take me. Like, I have no idea. But I'm hoping that it, at some point in some, like, future, I'll be able to go. And it'll be a very different kind of reality. In, yeah. And where... And like sometimes Inshallah. I say this to my, yeah, I say this to my brother a lot where, you know, one day we could all go there and it's still this country that was established, you know, for a very long time on Hebrew. So it will be useful somehow, right? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Cool, Salma. So thanks so much and I'll see you on Wednesday in class. Inshallah. Inshallah. Late out. Late out.